Hi, my name's Jason. I'm the senior pastor at Chilton Church. We hope all our messages will help you connect more fully with God's love, grow as his follower, and share his hope with those around you. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, again, uh, a very special welcome perhaps to anyone who's listening online. My name is Jason and I'm the pastor here at Tilton Church and um, it's great to be able to step us back um, into our series that we um, uh, sort of put on pause uh, halfway through the year last year through the Gospel of Mark. We're picking that up again. We did our our first in that series last week um, and it's just a really powerful and I think precious way for us to be beginning this year because as we look at these first couple of weeks out of the gospel of Mark in chapter 7 we see this call to be deeply connected with Jesus to keep our focus aimed at Jesus and to be living and I think this is a real theme through these last couple of weeks with genuine authenticity in our faith And so I mentioned last week that our goal as a church is to be followers of Jesus. As we are learning to love Jesus more, we're learning to live more like he did, both morally in the ministry of the kingdom, to pattern our lives on the teachings of Jesus. And uh, we were looking at this in Connect Group over the course of uh, this last week, and we're busy doing the Sermon on the Mount, and we sort of split people up into groups, and we had to find how many instructions instructions are there from Jesus through the the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. And and I think we came up with 50 instructions that Jesus gives um, to his disciples over that time. And we sort of came away from that thinking, wow, you know, we really need to be more in touch with the words of Jesus if we are to be his followers and learning to love him and learning to pattern our lives after his teaching. And so uh, the Gospel of Mark is another great launch pad for us to be able to do that. And, and just to say, and this came out as well over the course of, the, over the course of this last week as we were doing the study, I think someone referred to, to Jesus' words as sometimes being like diamonds, like diamonds. And the thing about diamonds is they're incredibly valuable and precious. And they're also very hard. And so there are times when Jesus' words to us, they are precious. They are valuable. They are life-transforming truth. And yet they can be really deeply challenging for us. Uh, And yet as we receive them and engage with them, and as we listen to them and put them into practice, we find that our lives are transformed in all of the best kind of ways. And so I'd love to pray for us as we dive into chapter 7. We're going to read from verse 14. If you have your Bibles with you, or if you want to take them out and have it on a screen or a tablet, however you do it, um, it will be on the screen behind me. Um, But let me pray for us as we come and bring our ears and our hearts and our spirits into the diamonds of Jesus' words. Okay. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Father, I thank you for just this moment as we are able to sit under the very teaching of Jesus himself. As we look at your words, God, 
that you have given to us. And I pray, Lord, for a grace for me to be able to share them well. I pray for a grace for all of us to be able to receive them well. And Lord, that the Holy Spirit would touch your words and it would be like uh, just life that is able to enter into us. You say that your words to us are spirit and life. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bring the life of the kingdom into our lives as we engage with your words now. Thank you, Lord. May we be transformed from one degree of glory to the next as we engage with this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, Uh, so Mark chapter 7 verse 14 uh, says this. Again, Jesus called called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. That's quite an introduction for Jesus to make. You know, we kind of know this really is for everybody. This was for his disciples. This is for all of the people who were sort of following and wondering who is this man and the things that he is doing. And Jesus says, come and listen to me, everybody, and understand this. Verse 15, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. And I I think it's worth saying that Jesus is absolutely aware of the God-given purity laws that related to food that the Israelites would have received through Moses and the Mosaic law. But verse 14 and 15 here, we need to see them in connection with last week, this continuation as we're looking at Jesus now challenging the Pharisees and the scribes who had placed their religious traditions ahead of obedience to God. Remember, I had the cup last week with the the three different liquids and how religious tradition, when it leads us away from God's laws and his ways, becomes a barrier for us to actually being able to connect with God. And we saw last week that it's not the age of the tradition that matters. There are great old traditions and there are bad old traditions. There are great new traditions and there are bad new traditions. The, the question is, does the way that we practice our faith and do life together, does it hinder us being obedient to God or does it aid us? in being obedient to God. And Jesus is saying these additional laws that you have created, they're not helping you because they're not addressing the real problem. They are literally not getting to the heart of the issue because the problem is your heart and and what you eat is not going to change the issue of your heart. And so again, the test of tradition is, is not what goes into the mouth needing to be religiously holy, The real test is, are we now living in a way where our thoughts and our feelings and our actions and our motives are actually holy before God? Verse 17 goes on. After he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. To which Jesus replies, are you so dull? And I leave feeling encouraged when I read that. Because some of the words of Jesus are difficult. And you think, well, okay, they were right there. And they were hearing it. They heard the the intonation of his voice. They saw his mannerisms. They saw everything that was going on. And yet they still come to him and they go, okay, just we didn't get that one again. And so Jesus has to explain. 
don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it does not go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declares all foods clean. Now, let me just say, Jesus is not saying that it's okay to eat loads of high cholesterol food and it's going to have no impact on your heart health. Okay? So for Jewish people, the terminology of the heart is used to describe our inner being, the source of our life. This is the definition out of Thayer's Greek lexicon. It reads like this, that the heart, as it's written here, was understood in this way, as the center and seat of spiritual life, the soul or mind, as it is the fountain and seat of the thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, affections, purposes, and endeavors. See, the the issue is not what your body is digesting. The issue is what the wellspring of your life, your heart, is producing. He goes on, verse 20, he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within our heart, the wellspring of our life. It is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and that is what defiles a person. Now if you anything like me and anything like the people who would have originally heard this, this can be stinging for us to hear Jesus speak of what he understands to be evil. And, and, and it's hard for us to, to deal with this. And, and I shared last week again that in the cup, if you were to look inside, you can't see the barrier that's there. It's only as you step to the side and gain an additional perspective that you're able to see that something has separated us from God. And so in our lives, God provides these windows, these other perspectives on our life as we get to see God's evaluation of our hearts. And he says that we can be defiled as people. That's challenging language. That our actions can be declared by God as being unclean before him. That our thoughts and our lifestyle literally can be morally rotten, evil. That what we do and the things we think and the things we feel they actually reveal something of the nature of who we are as people. See, when people sin, this is what the cups are going to be about, we spill out of us what is already inside of us. So Jesus is a bit like this. His whole inner world was perfect. And so when he was challenged and when he was bumped and when he was accused and when he was beaten and even when he was being crucified, what sort of spills out of him, okay, watch watch the violin there, okay, what sort of spills out of him is this perfect pure water of truth and love, of perfect judgment even when that is like a diamond for people, and grace. 
Because what is on the inside is what comes out. Now, if you're more like me, perhaps, when we are bumped and when we are challenged and when we are tempted and when we are stressed and when we are under pressure, don't worry, all of you who love the carpet. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Okay. But what, what comes out of us when we are bumped is something more like this that's more dark. And that doesn't mean we don't do good things. We're, we're, we're a complicated mix. But Jesus says that, that it's actually our hearts that are broken. And we know our hearts are broken by what spills out of our life. And we know that Jesus' heart was perfect by what spilled out of his life. And so Jesus is essentially saying, all of us, we all have a heart condition. We all have a heart problem. And man-made religion is not helpful for us because it doesn't transform our hearts. It can curb our actions, but it can't transform our inner world. And so Jesus is helping his disciples and his followers understand what is sin? What really is sin? And, and what is the problem of it? What does it do? And what do we need to do when we discover our hearts are like this on the inside? I was reading something by Tim Keller on, on the, the, the problem and challenge and description of what sin is. And, and he, um, talking about Luke chapter 11, if you're taking notes, he says this about Luke 11. He says, Jesus is instructing his followers on the subject of prayer. And in the midst of it, he says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, Luke 11 verse 13. And in this handoff reference to his own disciples as evil reveals an astounding to modern readers assumption by Jesus, namely that even the best human beings are so radically corrupt that they can be referred to as even evil persons. Nevertheless, in spite of calling them evil, Jesus obviously loves his disciples with the utmost tenderness and even delight and is willing to pay the ultimate price for them. We read about that in John 13. And, and this is this important tension for us to maintain. That as Jesus turns and looks at our hearts and says, there is a brokenness in you that is even deeply offensive to me. I love you. And I care for you. And I want to help you and bring wholeness and healing and transformation into your life. John Piper defines sin like this. He says, sinning is any feeling or thought or speech or action that comes from a heart that does not treasure God over all other things. Now, I think that this is one of the most helpful definitions of sin that I have ever read because it actually gets to the heart of the problem of what's going on. It's not just about curbing our behavior. It's about dealing with our inner world because when the inner world is broken, what comes out is broken. But when our heart is able to treasure God above all other things, when we treasure God above our own desires, our own security, our own identity, our heart is now free to follow God just as he has 
commanded. And actually, we don't just follow it because we must. We follow it because we delight in the one who has given us the laws. Our feelings and our thought and our speech and our actions begin to agree with God's character and his word. You know, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's one of the most profound revelations of how perfect his inner world is. Where he prays this famous prayer. He says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Again, if you're anything like me, my prayer is often, uh, although I might not vocalize it like this. Father, not your will, but my will be done. Please, (laughs) if it's okay with you which is a revelation of the brokenness of my heart because I've still not fully delighted in who God is and in his ways because I actually want my way, not his way. And so Jesus then to help us make sure that we don't misunderstand what he's talking about, he he gives us this list of of what does evil look like? And, and often I would just read through this and I wouldn't maybe pause on it more. But I think our culture has become so disconnected and confused about Jesus' words that we don't actually have a read anymore of what evil looks like. I think perhaps when many of us, and, and definitely this has been true for me, you, know, you think of what does evil look like and we bring to mind perhaps images of, of, of sort of horror films that we've seen or, or people who've done these incredible sort of atrocious things in history and we say, well, that's what evil looks like. But God has a different perspective of what evil looks like. And what's hard for us is when God thinks what we think is okay is evil. That becomes a real challenge for us. And so I want to just read through this list and, and, and make a few comments about it. Sexual immorality or pornea, the Greek word that's there. It means sex before or outside of marriage. Theft. Um, that which is literally, it's like that which is done undercover by stealth or fraud. Murder. Um, this unjustified homicide. Just a few things about this. I think sexual immorality, this is a really tough idea for our culture today. Even that term is a tough idea for our culture today. Who are we to say that anyone's sexuality or the way they act out their sexuality is to be considered immoral? I think our culture essentially teaches what consenting adults choose to do you know, on their own time is their business. And, and I want to say as well, we advocate for freedom. People must be allowed to do what they want to do and not be controlled by the church. Absolutely. But I think it's also important for us to understand that Jesus has a perspective on sexuality that's often very different to us and our culture. And we need to hear it. Jesus teaches, for example, Matthew 19, Mark chapter 10, that sex and the one flesh bond was only legitimate between a husband and a wife. And that anything outside of that was pornea, was immoral. 
It's also important to remember Jesus' other teachings on this, Matthew 5, where he sort of levels it up even further. He says, embracing, and, and that's different to temptation. Everybody's tempted, but when we embrace temptation of an inner lust towards someone that's not your spouse, or we embrace the sort of temptation to hate other people, God actually sees that in the same light as actually doing the action. And we might think, well, that's a bit unfair. And I was thinking, well, how does that work? It's a bit like me going into an orchard that hasn't come into fruit yet. And there's an orange tree there. I might not know it's an orange tree because I don't know what the tree looks like. I can recognize the fruit when it comes, but I can't recognize the tree on its own. But the farmer can. He can tell you. That's an orange tree, and that's a pear tree, and that's an apple tree, because they know the tree. And humanly speaking, I might not be able to look at your life and tell you that you've sinned, because the fruit's not on the tree yet. The action hasn't taken place. But God looks not only at our actions, he looks at our hearts. And he can see the tree even before it fruits. And so Jesus is trying to help us to be honest with ourselves about the state of our heart. Because until we are, we don't know how much help we need. And we don't know how much forgiveness we need. And those who are forgiven much love much. And often there's a love deficit in the church because we don't recognize the depth of our sin and how much we've been forgiven. Adultery, sex between a married person and a person that's not their spouse. Greed, the desire for more. It's probably one of the most socially acceptable sins in our culture. It's actually celebrated, the desire for more. And, and there's, 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 there's nuance here because there are, there are some ambitions that are godly ambitions. But when we are constantly wanting more because we're not content with what we have, Jesus says that's a problem. Malice. Depravity, iniquity, wickedness. Number seven, deceit. Treachery to exploit the naive. Baiting them with their own greed. Lewdness. Outrageous conduct. Conduct that's shocking to public decency. I guess you know, it might be difficult to determine what that is, but I'm sure there's a lot of that that happens in our society today. Envy. This was interesting. The, the word literally is, is um, sort of word for word is the evil eye. And and it's a phrase that meant this. It's when you not only want what someone else has, but you're angry that they've got it and you don't. And you you give them the evil eye. There's this this inner sort of um, displeasure towards that individual because they have something that you want. Slander is, is literally blasphemy. It's calling what God disapproves of as right. That's the idea that's behind that. Arrogance, pride, self-exaltation. And then folly. You think, well, is it fair uh, you know, for, for folly to be evil? But, but what's, what's meant by that is moral recklessness. To be morally reckless. You know, and I think as, as Jesus goes through this list, I, I'd be surprised if, if, if there was anyone in the room And anyone that's heard him speak that doesn't in some way feel the sting of those words. We all have our places where we've tripped up and fallen. But then we have a choice. 
And this is, the, this is the thing that Jesus' words do. They bring us to a place of decision. Do I accept God's evaluation of my heart? Or do I reject him and reject his words? And for those who accept them, the question is, well, what can I do? What can we do when we discover the wellspring of our life is broken? And that human religion is like trying to cut the fruit off the tree before anyone sees it. Because we don't know how to get rid of the tree. When Jesus is saying we actually need a completely new garden. Ezekiel actually brings that promise. It says this in Ezekiel chapter 30. Therefore, you Israelites, I will judge you, each of you, according to your own ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Isn't that That's meant to be chilling and sobering for us. Repent, turn away from your offenses. Then sin will not be your downfall. God doesn't want sin to be any of our downfall. Rid yourself of the offenses that you've committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, people of Israel? I take no pleasure. Can you hear the heart of God in this? I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. So repent and live. Verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. An idol is when we have a passion in our lives that's greater than our passion for God. I will cleanse you from all impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And it is the spirit. This is the amazing thing. You think we don't have the capacity to live like this. And yet God says, not only will I take away this. I don't know how to do that. There we go. Not only will I take that away into me, onto me, but I will give you out of the resources of heaven, my spirit, that you would have a new heart and a new spirit. And I will move you inwardly to obey my laws. And to keep my commands. And this is what's so fascinating for me. The more I surrender to God, the more I want to live like he calls me to live. I actually have the desire. But the choice to surrender comes first. And sometimes he sort of drags me screaming there. (laughs) Does, Does that ring true for any of you? It's a challenge to deal with some of those things. But then it's like breaking through into something new and wonderful. See, this is the place that God is trying to get us to, where we can do three things. First, we can recognize our hearts are broken. That my feelings and my thoughts and my words and my actions, they haven't honored God. And secondly, not just to know that, but actually to feel sorrow over our sin. Which can bring us to the third step, to say, God, and I need your help. I need a new heart. I need your spirit. I need you to help me. Um, I've been told at Connect Group that this isn't cool. uh, And I shouldn't say it in public. But Nikki and I really like these gardening transformation programs that you can watch. 
Okay, so just, there we go. Something about me that you might not have known uh, from earlier. But, but I, there's something so just lovely about, they, they come and they show this garden and it's a nightmare. You know, it looks, like, it looks like the tip, you know, without any of the storage boxes to put everything in. It just looks like, it, you know, the plants are dying. You know, you think if you go out there, you're going to just feel depressed, even though you're outside. And then it's great because on the, on the program, it only takes 15 minutes or whatever it is and and you know you get to watch whoever the hero is comes in Monty Don you know the next you know the next couple of minutes this garden has been transformed the dead things are gone the new things are in you know the kids are running around they're having a party it's tea and and just like wow look at that transformation becoming a Christian is a bit like having God come into your home and come into your garden and say you know There's greater potential here than you are living with. What you've got is is broken. And actually, it's even dangerous. But we can do something with this. We can take out the broken, and I can bring in the new. And I can replant it. That your life becomes the planting of the Lord. And it's a radical change. But, you know, as Christians, I'm also aware if you were to go back to some of those homes two years later, you might find it doesn't look quite as nice as when Monty had tidied it up for them. Because weeds blow in and we have to stay on top of the weeds and cut the lawn. And and that's us partnering with God to make sure that we don't allow to be spoiled what God has so beautifully made new. And so you might be here this morning and saying, you know, Jesus is right. My heart is broken. I need a new one. And it's the first time you let him into your garden. Or you might be here and saying, you know what? I haven't taken that step to the side for a while. And I hadn't gained your perspective on my life for a while. And actually, if I look with your eyes, there are things growing in my life that God you don't approve of. And I need to deal with that. And so I'd imagine that we all have something that we can repent of. And that just means repentance is this. It's agreeing with God that what you thought was okay is not. And what he thinks okay is. And because you agree with him, you change what you're doing. And so I want to invite you to perhaps close your eyes. And maybe the team can come up. And um, this, is a, this is a special moment. This is a moment where we get to agree with God. I, I found in my life agreeing with God goes much better for me than disagreeing with him. But we get to agree with God and say, Lord, I recognize something in my life that you don't approve of. And I love you and choose to love you more than that thing. And so I'm willing to lay it down and lay it down for you. That sin would not be the cause of my destruction. Because I know you want me to live. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about the church and how to connect with us in person or online, wherever you are, please visit our website at www.chiltonchurch.org.uk.